0: travel back in time to the 80s reliving the music you can't have the pretenders first album that's mine i bought it you did
1: not the catchphrases
0: did you have a brain tumor for breakfast
1: and the wannabes
2: sometimes i see you dance around the house in my underwear doesn't make me madonna
3: never will
0: because just like you we're stuck in the 80s
3: can you say stuck in the 80s Hello? Brad, pick a number. Steve? Well, hello to you too, man.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. But pick a number right now between 1 and uh, 12.
3: Do I need to know why?
0: No. I'm using science to pick a show topic for this week's podcast. So just give me a number.
3: Fine, fine. I'll play along. Uh, Let's see. How many times have I watched Tron this month? Uh, 12. (laughs) 12.
0: Pathetic. Let me punch that in. And now pick a number between 1 and 30.
3: Okay. This will go quicker if I just do what he says. Okay. How old was I when I stopped believing in Santa Claus? 16.
0: Okay. I take back the pathetic comment from earlier and place it firmly here. Let me just type that in.
3: Aha. You have chosen December 16th, 1987.
0: What? Like the computer said, you, Brad Williams, have chosen the date December 16th. We can only do a show based on movies released on this date 30 years ago.
3: Okay, I'm game. It's December, big release month, lots of Oscar bait. I bet I've got a plethora of choices.
0: Well, let's see here.
1: Moonstruck or Broadcast News.
0: What? It's pretty clear, Brad. The computer says you can have Moonstruck or Broadcast News.
3: What else? Come on, what else? Nope, that's it. Uh, You're not exactly wowing me there, Spearzy.
0: They were both nominated for tons of Oscars.
3: Did they win any?
0: Well, one of them did.
3: I feel like Lewis and Billy Ray from Trading Places. Can't we have both?
0: Extra primo good, Senor Brad. We'll do both. Hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears. And Brad in L.A. And today we honor two romantic comedies turning 30 this month and try to decide which flick is better, Moonstruck or Broadcast News.
1: It must be nice to always believe you know better, to always think you're the smartest person in the room.
3: No, it's awful. Don't forget, Stuck in the 80s is a member of the CLNS Podcast Network. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and the CLNS Media mobile app. And the all-new CLNS Media website
0: has launched at clnsmedia.com. clnsmedia.com is now the home of this podcast and 40-plus other podcasts and vidcasts in the world of sports finance comedy and lifestyles we are so excited to have our show featured on the new clns media website support us stuck in 80s by checking out this episode at clnsmedia.com that's clnsmedia.com
1: what is life i didn't come here to upset you they say bread is life and and i bake bread 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 and i sweat and i should be so happy huh sweetie chrissy Over by the wall.
0: Bring me the big knife.
1: No, Ronnie.
3: Bring me the big knife. I'm going to cut my throat.
1: Maybe I should come back another time.
3: Steve, we can't talk about this. It's just you and I. We need some help. And so I have asked Gail in D.C. to join us fresh off of her victory tour after the expose interview with you and I. She joins us tonight from Washington, D.C.
4: Hello. Excellent. glad you uh, decided to... Rave my questions again. <laughs> Although I won't be asking
2: the questions this time.
0: And I didn't come empty handed either uh, with me. Also from the frozen Northeast is Jen with one N.
2: Hey, I'm, I'm doing my best Kim Carnes tonight. I have a little voice situation. hope it's not too annoying.
0: <laughs> no, not at all. It's very
2: sexy. But I, I might break into a Betty Davis <laughs> later if I'm feeling it.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's, saving that for after the seggies. Easy. So here's the show idea. On December 16th, 1987, two really good movies both opened on the same day, Moonstruck and Broadcast News. And actually, there weren't really any other movies that I'm aware of, not any noteworthy ones that opened up on that day. The computer wouldn't lie to us, would it? We only told the computer what to say. We didn't program it or anything. Don't don't open the curtain all the way, bro. Both these movies were nominated for multiple Oscars. Each movie featured a cast of Oscar winners and nominees, six actually for Broadcast News, five for Moonstruck. Both are romantic comedies aimed at a more adult audience than most of the movies we normally cover here at Stuck in the 80s. So we thought, let's do a twofer, kind of our last remaining Christmas present of the year, and we'll try to decide which one of these movies is superior to the other and
3: why. Sound good? That sounds good. I want to say something real quick before we start. I had not seen either of these movies until this weekend.
2: Oh, my God.
3: (laughs) I watched them both for the first time on a flight home from New York.
2: Oh my God! Well, this will be this will be an interesting perspective then to hear someone who's seen it recently it for the first time. Yeah. Can I just say that this is a real Christmas present to me because when I was in high school, I think I was a, I want to say a freshman. I had pictures of Holly Hunter and Cher on my door in my bedroom because I thought oh. they were both so amazing because of these movies. So this is a thrill to be able to to uh, talk about it finally. <laughs>
0: Yeah, how old were you when you saw these movies for the first time? Did you see them back in 87?
2: I
4: think I did see them both in 87, so I would have been a senior in high school. I've definitely seen Moonstruck at least a couple of times since then, but I had not seen Broadcast News until last night. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a good, a good refresher.
0: Yeah. 1987 was the first and only year that I saw every movie that was nominated for Best Picture for an Oscar before the Oscars started. Oh, wow. First and only time.
3: I don't it's know getting why. Harder now I was uh, like fourteen movies too.
0: <laughs> and I remember seeing them both with um my girlfriend at the time, Peach Lingerie Girl, aka Lasagna Girl. Lasagna
2: Girl 87
3: was, was a good year. First, wait, what is it?
2: Lasagna Girl.
3: Yeah. Lasagna Girl. Yes. Oh, that just rolls off the tongue. I know. It's I have to like type it down and
0: remember what it is. But yeah, so <laughs> she and I were both movie nuts, and so we went to see him. I think at the Dollar Cinema in Gainesville, Florida, when they just when they you know lead the. The expensive four dollar per screening movie, and go all the way down to the one dollar. that's saving us enough to buy a hot dog. Classy with the K. Let's get things started with broadcast news.
1: Hey, Aaron, I think you're the devil. You know I'm not. How? Because I think we have the kind of friendship where if I were the devil, you'd be the only one I would tell. Well, you were awfully quick to run after Tom's help when right, you fine. want wanted help. Yes. And if things have gone well for me tonight, then I probably wouldn't be saying any of this. I grant you everything. But give me this. He personifies everything that you've been fighting against. And I'm in love with you. How do you like that? I buried
0: the lead. Broadcast News was written, produced, and directed by James L. Brooks. The film concerns a video TV news producer played by Holly Hunter, who has daily emotional breakdowns, along with her friend, a brilliant yet prickly reporter played by the great Albert Brooks. And of course, there's a love triangle, so we need that third point. So let's we'll bring in the charismatic but far less seasoned rival played by William Hurt.
3: You're being kind, calling him less seasoned, unseasoned. un-seasoned. I think we fair. can go. I think we can go all the way to say stupider. <laughs> Hey, I'm trying to be uh, nice here. I have some very strong feelings about this. movie. Oh yeah, because William Hurt is going to be crushed.
2: <laughs> so, Brad, this is the first time you've seen it. What was your What was your impression?
3: I really liked this movie. Couple of things I liked about it. Holly Hunter. Oh my gosh, she is cute as a bug in this. Right. Oh my, she is just freaking adorable. You just oh, she's she's great. She's great. And the, the whole – I love the story. I love the kind of the complexity of the relationships between the three of them and how her characters conflicted about William Hurt's character and Albert Brooks. And it's just this whole kind of – it just feels real to me, right? Like that's the kind of stuff that, that really does happen. But then overlay that on an 80s television station.
1: Jesus, we have three minutes. Why do you do this to me? Is it because I won an award? Homecoming. Norman Rockwell's enduring portrait. The return of a fighting man has always been one of the more moving ceremonies of war. We have a minute and a half. It's my responsibility to tell the control room and New York that we won't be ready. Uh Uh-uh, we'll be ready. In 84 seconds. 15 seconds. Oh, God. You're single, God. Lay it in, Bobby. Back out.
3: I work in broadcasting. I've never worked at a TV station, but that is exactly how that stuff went down. Uh, you know, it's just it's fun to watch an editor actually like editing to tape and then popping the tape out of the deck and Joan Kuzak running through the station to deliver the tape to the equipment room. The one thing that was wrong about that is they would have had a clear path for her to run through. She would not have had to hurdle any children or anything because, you know, you got to get that tape on the air. But that part of it, I just, that overlay, just kind of veneer on the top of it was just like a little candy for me while I was watching the movie. Gail, what was your first impression when you saw this movie?
4: I really liked the the writing and the dialogue. I, I agree with Brad that these are realistic relationships, that they're kind of messy and inconsistent and stops and starts. I liked it. It certainly kept my attention. It felt a little dated. I, I thought it was actually really interesting to watch this movie in the with the, the context of what we're dealing with now. Sure. Sexual harassment, a lot of happening in this particular this very industry. Cause it did feel a little bit sexist in some ways and kind of the the women in these supporting roles and Joan Cusack's role. And it felt you kind of felt that sort of male dominated industry there but I enjoyed it and I liked, I I had forgotten how it ended and I liked the fact that they all three sort of go their separate ways in the end. And that felt realistic that it wasn't just a Hollywood ending with the, some, one of the couples riding off in the sunset. I enjoyed the DC element. There was lots and lots of shots of DC places. I recognized. there were also lots of little inconsistencies and things that were wrong that made me laugh. Like when, she would get in the car and tell the cab driver where to go and it would make no sense. (laughs) If she was was at Dulles airport, it wouldn't wouldn't have made any sense to tell him to take New York Avenue coming in little things like that. It was just kind of fun to follow, but I liked it.
0: Is there any characters that anybody here can particularly empathize with? Anyone feel like they've, they've lived one of these roles before?
2: I haven't, but I I have to say like, Holly Hunter in this movie was a revelation to me as a teenage girl. I mean seriously, she was so intense and so honest and she was she loved her job so much and she had so much passion for it but a, a, a great deal of integrity yeah. too and it was it was just it really made an impression on me that you could love your work that much and it was okay. There, there's a one line where somebody, one of her bosses, one of her male bosses says, it must be hard to always know you're the smartest one in the room. And she actually admits that she thinks she <laughs> Yeah, is, that's a know? great moment. And I thought, whoa, like you can say that out loud? I mean, it doesn't make you the most liked person in the room, but... I don't know. I, I thought she was just amazing in it. And I thought that Aaron, I, I had an instant crush on Albert Brooks after seeing this because he was so smart and funny. And I'm like, that's the guy I want, the smart, funny guy. Yeah, but you he, he doesn't get what
0: he wants. See, if, it, if there's anybody I can empathize with, it's Albert Brooks' role as Aaron. I mean, I feel like I've been in that position a dozen times in my life where I was in love with somebody or infatuated with somebody and just you know, not going to get him. That person's going to go for somebody... Far more handsome than me.
3: It was a little Cyrano there for a bit when William Hurt was on camera for the first time and Albert Brooks is calling in the information for Holly Hunter to relay into the studio. Mm. Yes. Hi.
1: Listen, the pilot that shot down the Libyan in 1981 is stationed right here. Maybe you can get it. Also, Tom said the F-14 is one of the hardest planes to fly and they're nicknamed Tomcats. Thank you. said, Gaddafi, this is not war. The, the F-14 is one of the most difficult the planes to master. To They're the called Tomcats. Tom? George, isn't the F-14 Tomcat one of the most difficult machines for a pilot to master? I think, I think you're right. In the 70s,
3: uh, the first crop uh, had a number of crashes.
1: There was trouble with them in the early days, back in the 70s. Thank you, George. Jennifer Mack is standing by at the White House. Now I say it here, it comes out the administration's there. Next step.
4: I have a question for Jen, which was... Yeah. I was bothered by the fact that Holly Hunter's character would go off on these sort of sobbing fits. You know, she did it in the hotel room in the beginning. She did it once in the newsroom and it would seem to be, you know, kind of her way of releasing her stress. But I felt like, God, that's like stereotypical that you have this strong woman, but you have to show her having these moments of weakness and crying. Did that bother you at all? Or was that just me?
2: So this is very funny. You should mention that Gail, because I, um, uh, Some years ago, I was working in New York City um, in publicity, and my boss was an ex-producer at CBS News, and she'd spent some years at NBC News, and we bonded over this movie, and I would tell her, you know, I love this movie so much, and Jane, and this and that, and she kind of took me into her confidence, and she said, I won't name names, but those scenes where she goes off and she has those crying fits, I know who that is. Oh, it's... Based oh,
3: on interesting.
2: Somebody. Yeah, she recognized that person. I, I kind of felt the same way, and then when I heard that, I thought, "Well, I, then I didn't know quite how to feel." <laughs> but I think it's based on at least one person. She didn't tell me if it was like a an amalgamation of personalities in the news, but she said that she had she had a producer who did that very thing. Interesting.
0: Does anybody remember the scene yeah. where I, I don't know if it's at a party or if it's you know after hours, and a group of them are standing around posing ethical questions to each other? Oh, yeah.
4: oh! they're yeah. standing in the newsroom, actually, yeah. when they say, would you yeah. tell a source you love them to get them to tell you stuff?
3: Yeah, yeah.
2: Jennifer didn't know there was an alternative.
3: <laughs> the, um... <laughs> Steve, did you do that in journalism school? Well, that
0: this is what's funny. At the time, lasongerie les- girl, is that how we're saying it? Lasongerie?
3: Oh, it's beautiful. Oh, lasongerie.
0: <laughs> say it again. It was negligee, composed entirely of lasagna <laughs> noodles. Lasagna girl, because I cannot L'air. say that other word. Lasagna Girl was a broadcast news major, and one of the things we did circa 1988—I know it was after this movie came out—was every semester they would have a a party where they would they would show the blooper tape of the, of that semester from the college TV news station. Oh, okay. From the college, I station. think I've told okay. the story once, like eons ago on the podcast. But the subject of the movie came up. They were all talking about this scene, the ethical question scene. And so they kind of recreated it and they started asking each other, what would would you do this, would you do this, would you do this? And I'm standing right there next to my girlfriend of two years. And without a doubt, every one of them said, Yep, yep. I mean, no pause, just like the movie. Just like the movie. I remember like the whole like, would you sleep with someone to get a story? Would you tell them you loved? And every time they said yes. And I sat there and I was so sick to my stomach and I thought, that's it. You know, this this relationship has got weeks, weeks maybe left. Yes. An expiration date. It approaching. Approaching and, it, and, and it did. I mean, it was over within a few weeks after that. And I, I, I kind of feel like a jerk about it now, but I mean, she was ready to bolt anyway. She was actually the one who came over to, to my department and reclaimed her lasagna first. So, hence, she gets the name, Lasagna Girl. I don't care what name she calls me.
3: <laughs> you claimed first
0: pasta. You she, made the first Prima, move. Prima knocked up pasta. She moved So, But that movie, to, to that scene to this day, kind of makes me a little ill.
4: Did you guys think it was realistic that Jane would have turned off her feelings for Tom so quickly when she saw his fake tears? <sighs> Or do do you feel like she was too experienced as a producer to have been so, you know, ethically um, uh, inflexible?
0: I had never thought about that before. Um, I think she was so fine tuned and committed to the ethics of what she was trying to do. And like Aaron said, he represents everything that she detested in the profession that it t- it only took that small amount, which we got to admit was not a gigantic and not in my book anyway, not not a gigantic screw up, but it's enough for her for him to just say that's it. You know, I can't, you know, be with someone like that. Yeah, I kind of buy that.
3: Yeah. I felt like the integrity part that was just so baked into her that was, you know, the, that speech at the beginning of the, of the film that she gives off her cue cards to a very bored room that kind of set her on that path and... I be- I believed it. I also believed that it was a really hard decision for her. But once she had made the decision, I felt like she was going to live it.
2: Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. Speaking about that lecture she gives at the beginning, where it's so sparsely attended, and she's showing this film clip of of uh, of an actual <laughs> news story that went up, and it's it's just about dominoes. The whole thing is like, well, you know, I'm gl- I'm glad you you like it because you're going to get a lot more of it. Mm-hmm. I thought that scene every time I watch it now feels so quaint to me. And so does her decision to not go with Tom at the end feels really quaint to me too. Like the good old days, if they ever existed of the news, like you're saying earlier, Gail, about how like, I don't know, the news has become a thing that is unrecognizable and awful <laughs> and, and you know, so far from yeah. this ideal that this movie had held up. I don't know. It feels super quaint to me. But I, I like to think that. It was a realistic move for her that, that that she you know had to go back and watch the tape and and I kind of made excuses for her like if she was a really good producer she would have known already that there was a cutaway shot but that she was so yeah you know she, bought, she wanted to believe it she kind of ignored there's it. yeah
0: there's some pretty crazy uh, trivia associated with this movie that I found today Jack Nicholson who plays the overpaid and egotistical network anchor was not paid for his role in broadcast news at his own request really. Wow. Sort of ironic since it's his character's yeah. fat salary that basically causes the whole newsroom to fall apart, you know, at the end.
4: Did he get like back end or something?
0: That's all I know. He was only in maybe two scenes. Something else the movie was specifically written with Deborah Winger in mind to play the hmm. lead role, not Holly Hunter. Lots of other names were considered before Holly Hunter came up, um, including Sigourney Weaver, Elizabeth Montgomery, and Elizabeth Perkins.
2: Hmm. I just want to say one more thing about broadcast news and the writing. This movie is infinitely quotable. Like I'll, I'll be doing something associated with something, and then I'll just all of a sudden hear Aaron's voice in my head say something. <laughs> you know, it's just a very quotable movie. I, maybe it's just because I've seen it so damn What's much. Your, but, uh, that
0: character, um, it's written very well. Every, anybody got a favorite line to share that they always quote?
2: One that always comes to my mind is when Tom says to Aaron, "What do you do when you're?" your real life exceeds your dreams. And Aaron says, you keep it to yourself. <laughs>
4: yeah. That's a good
2: line. I think of that one. Sometimes
4: um, <laughs> I learned something when I was doing a little research on this last night that actually they filmed an alternative ending that had her get in the cab at the airport and that he got in the cab after her. Like he followed her in the cab. And apparently they were going to sort of improvise that. Like he was going to come and surprise her. Cause she didn't know this was being filmed that this, you know, scenario might happen. And that apparently as he was getting to the car, someone goes, Hey Bill for William Hurt and like ruined the shot. And that James L Brooks was really mad. (laughs) But so he's very vague about what the ending was going to be. And he won't commit to saying, you know, do they end up together? Do they, does she go on the trip? What happens? Do they resolve the issue? But he won't admit where that was headed.
0: Well, I know where we're headed next. And that's the other movie in today's uh, twin feature. This is Moonstruck
1: can't see what you are. And I see everything. You're a wolf. I'm a wolf? Yeah. You know, the, the big part of you has, has no words and uh, it's a wolf. You know, that woman was a trap for you. She caught you and you couldn't get away. So you, you chewed off your own foot. That was the price you had to pay for your freedom. You know, Johnny had nothing to do with it. You did what you had to do between you and you and now. Now you're afraid because you know the big part of you is a wolf that has the courage to bite off its own hand to save itself from the trap of the wrong love. That's why there's been no woman since that wrong woman, okay? You're scared to death of what the wolf will do if you try and make that mistake again. What are you doing? I'm telling you your life. Stop it. No. Why are you marrying Johnny? He's a fool. Because I have no luck. He, He made me look the wrong way, and I cut off my hand. He could make you look the wrong way. You could lose your whole head. I'm looking where I have to to become a bride. A bride without a head. A wolf without a foot.
0: Moonstruck was directed by Norman Jewison and written by John Patrick Shanley. It's about a widowed 37-year-old Italian-American woman who falls for her fiancé's strange, hot-tempered younger brother. Her fiancé is played by Danny Yellow. The brother, the younger brother by uh, the great Nick Cage. Vincent Gardinia and Olympia Dukakis play supporting roles. Um, one of the things that I think it's notable to say here, this movie was nominated for six Oscars and it actually won three. Broadcast News was nominated for seven and won none. <laughs> Moonstruck won for uh, Actress for Cher, uh, Supporting Actress for Dukakis, and the screenplay won. Oh, nice. So
4: that surprises me because I I think the acting in this movie is superb. I just think the supporting roles the leading roles, I think everyone's great. My beef with it would be more in the writing because I think some of the writing is not very convincing. And some of the things that especially between Nicolas Cage and Cher, the writing wasn't always that convincing. And I would have given the screenplay Oscar to broadcast news over this one.
1: Snap out of it.
3: If I have a problem with this movie character wise, uh, Nick Cage is weak, I think. You do. He just looks lost in his scenes where he's where he's talking to share about stuff. He just looks lost.
2: Oh, I think this is prime Nick Cage in the eighties. He just has these like, well, first he's so handsome and so like <laughs> full of passion, but he also like k- makes these weird acting choices that I think are really interesting and fun. I don't know. I loved him in this.
0: I will give you a hundred percent that Nick Cage makes interesting acting choices.
3: <laughs> I mean. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we followed this up with Vampire's Kiss, so you know he makes yeah, interesting I mean, choices. He, he has probably the most eclectic career
0: you know, of roles that anybody could hope for, sort of like maybe Mark Wahlberg playing a porn star, astronaut, and rock star.
1: What are you doing? Son of a bitch! Where are you taking me? To the bed. Oh, God. Okay, I don't care. I don't care. Take me. Take me to the bed. I don't care about him. I don't believe this is happening. I was dead. Me too. What about Johnny? Oh, you're mad at him. Take it out on me. Take your revenge out on me. Leave nothing left him to marry. Leave nothing but the skin over my bones. All right.
0: All right. Was anybody else kind of caught off guard or thrown aside or just kind of generally confused by all the La Boheme references in this movie?
4: I think they went right over my head.
3: It made me very
0: weird. The first few times I saw this movie, an opera plays a central part of the plot in that Nick Cage and Cher go to the opera together after after their affair begins. And there she runs into her father with his uh, mistress. There is, if you watch the movie again, knowing – that the name of the opera is La Boheme, is that right? La Boheme. You think I know this by now? La Boheme.
1: La Boheme.
3: It's an opera.
0: If you watch it from the very beginning, <laughs> they hit you over the head with the name of the opera so many times that you're like, "Yes, yes, I get it." I, I there, there's going to be some, there's going to be some crossover references. The whole opening credits shows the set of the opera being moved to the Met. You see the Met showing mm-hmm. the four or five glory shots right at the beginning. The movie was supposed to begin with music from the opera, but in the first test audiences that saw the movie, they were all kind of like squirming in their chairs thinking, oh, crap, what do we get ourselves into? And so they switched it at the last minute to uh, That's Amore. Your favorite song, right, Steve? It's just so predictably sad. And if you're like a real crazy opera fan... You would be able to de- determine that the main roles can be divided upon uh, operatic lines. Loretta is the soprano, Ronnie is the tenor, Johnny is the baritone, and Rose is the contralto, and Cosmo is the bass.
3: So there you go. Uh, I just wonder if uh, Lewis Winthorpe had tickets to that particular <laughs> performance. Gail, did you
0: say that you thought this was a, a more romantic movie?
4: I do think it's a more romantic movie because the the central theme of this one is love. Whereas I think the central theme of the other movie is more about ethics and commitment to your job and, and news. I don't think this one's very convincing. Like I, you know, the fact that Nick Cage falls in love with Cher within like their first meeting, you know, it's sort of more like a fable. Like it's not like a true realistic love story, but it is so romantic. And, Um, Again, I just thought the acting was so good and and the way they do kind of the other parallel love stories, Cher's parents, her aunt and uncle, um, you know, what's happened. Sorry, I keep calling her Cher, Loretta. Um, I I just felt like uh, it was – to me, this was a more memorable movie and it's just one that I, like, have sort of sought out in the last 30 years, unlike broadcast news, which I just had not at all.
0: I think what hurts it for me is Cher is 17 years older than Nicolas Cage. True. Danny uh, Yellow and uh, Nicholas Cage are brothers, but uh, uh, Yellow is uh, 31 years older than Cage. <laughs> so, I mean, like, like there's little things where you're like, okay, I mean, you want to believe that these are realistic parts for these people to be playing, but they're really not. Mm,
3: I don't know. Again, as I mentioned, the first time I saw it was less than a week ago. And I. I can tell you without any reservation that if I had seen this in 1987, I would have walked out and demanded my money back. <gasps> uh, I just, I would not have connected with this material at all. But now, from the you know, from the the high perch of 50 years old, I thought it was really kind of an interesting. You know, you say it's about love, Gail, but I think it's about relationships. And most of them involve love in some way or another. But I just, I really enjoyed the little touches, like when Loretta walks into the liquor store to buy a split of champagne or Spumoni or whatever it is, and the couple behind the register are kind of bickering, and you kind of expect that to keep going, and then. The husband says something, you know, just like a little line to his wife. And I she, see the
4: woman I married.
3: And I see the girl I married and she buys yeah. it and they're laughing and it's just like, oh, that's that just that felt, again, a little more honest. But I just I would not have connected with a movie that was basically about these relationships. And and mm-hmm. you're right. Like the the moment where Ronnie and Loretta fall in love in the first, you know, 30 seconds of, you know, her telling him, you're a wolf. I'm like, wait, what? Huh? What, what? That happens very fast, and that's showbiz, right? That's storytelling. Uh, but I enjoyed this now. I think a lot more than I would have met, would have then, and it was it was cool to see an eighties New York. There's a lot less traffic in the eighties, you know, <laughs> a lot, uh, and uh, that part of it I thought was fun to see. I felt like the city was kind of a character in it as well.
0: Yes, for sure.
3: I, to me, one of the,
0: the moments that really probably doesn't get as, as much play these days, but I think it did back more in 87, was the relationship between Loretta's mom, played by Olympia Dukakis, and the uh, Playboy college professor, played by John Mahoney.
2: This, Diane Court's dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can I ask a question?
0: Yeah, go ahead.
1: Why do men chase women? Nerves? I think it's because they fear death. Well, maybe. Listen, you want to know why I chase women? I find women charming. I teach these classes I taught for a million years. Spontaneity went out for me a long time ago. I started out, I was excited about something, wanted to share it. Now it's rote. Multiplication table. Except sometimes. Sometimes I'll be droning along, and I look up and I'll see a fresh, beautiful young face. And it's all new to her. And I'm just this great guy who, who's brilliant and thinks out loud. And when that happens, when I look out there among those chairs and see a young woman's face, and see me in her eyes, me the way I always wanted to be, maybe once was, I ask her out for a date. It doesn't last long, a few weeks, a couple of precious months. And she catches on that I'm just this burned-out old gas bag, and she's as fresh and bright and full of promise as moonlight in a martini. And at that moment, she stands up and throws a glass of water in my face or some action to that effect. <laughs> what you don't know about women is a lot.
0: So what do you think about um, the theory, why do men chase women because they fear death? Gail?
4: Hmm. I think there's, there's probably some truth to that. You know, that there's this sense of mortality and life is finite. And so you got to get out and experience as much as you can. You know, your fidelity be damned. I think that's probably true. I don't know. What do you guys think? You're men.
0: <laughs> I knew that was funny. I know. <laughs> <laughs> when the question is coming out of my mouth, I'm like, I'm going to live to regret this one.
3: <sighs> you know what, Gail? I think that's true. Um, I think that the thought that you are finite and you are mortal, uh, it's not hard to imagine that people would seek out younger companionship to make themselves feel younger, to make themselves feel more virile, more you know, further from death. I don't know how else to say that.
4: I don't know if it's even younger. It's just a variety. Yeah, or or, or, you, or, or, or yeah, more and different. Can
0: I just say this? I don't say this very often on the show, but this is one of those few Your moments country. where I think that having Sean Daly back on as a co-host would really help. <laughs>
2: <laughs> to guide us through this question.
0: I, I think we would get the definitive answer and we'd all be happy and we could move on afterwards.
4: Can you send him an email and ask him? If he fears that
0: Joe, get off the babysitter. Answer this question. <laughs> I, I think that everything that they say in this movie about why men chase women is probably 80% accurate to our old friend. So, and I think even he would mm. admit that. So. So there's some bizarre trivia associated with this movie as well. Um, Nick Cage's screen test didn't impress the studio at all, and they wanted to replace him with somebody else. But Cher was the person who said, I will quit unless you hire him. And after a few days, the studio uh, relented.
2: And they had great chemistry.
0: They did. They did. And she must have known it. Um, Cher herself had just done two movies back to back and was so tired, she originally turned this part down. She also said that she didn't think she could play the part of a bookkeeper because in real life she was such a lavish spender. Seems.
3: <laughs> <laughs> acting. acting. It's called acting. Yeah, it's called, <laughs> called pretending. <laughs> You're also not a widow. Oh, not yet anyway. Oh, wait, no. Too soon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Too soon, yeah.
4: I read some trivia on this last night. Cher said she enjoyed playing the first half movie, Loretta, more than she enjoyed the second half, Loretta. She liked being the kind of uptight, bottled up, you know, sad, no-nonsense Loretta, as opposed to...
2: Share Loretta.
4: Sentimental, yes. (laughs) And then I also read that Danny Aiello hated his character and thought he was ridiculous and was very unhappy with the way it turned out.
3: He's he's not wrong
0: at all. His (laughs) his character is such a... It's hard to watch him in that role. It's so unlike him in anything else you've ever seen him in. Yeah.
4: But he does credit this movie for really... Kickstarting his career, or at least giving it a big boost. I don't know what he had done before this, he but
3: never would have booked Hudson Hawk without this movie.
4: <laughs> I think that Olympia Dukakis is perfection yes. in this movie.
3: Agreed,
2: just perfect.
3: Yeah. yeah,
4: yeah. Oh, and she said she was paying her kids' college tuition on credit cards until this movie came out, and it totally just oh, that makes me
2: so oh,
0: that's so sad. That makes me no, happy. Oh, that's so did. happy. Are you yeah. oh, I'm just
3: so happy the bills. Yeah, but just that someone, you know. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, the difference between Steve and Brad. Brad's like, "Yay, she can pay the bills," <laughs> and Steve's like, "No, oh, she couldn't pay the bills until that very minute when she could."
0: Yeah, it's always half empty to me, isn't it, Brad?
2: I fell for this movie, Hook, Line, and Sinker. I love, and I I, I watched it last night for the first time in many, many years, and I was shocked how many, how much I remembered, like how many scenes I remembered, how many lines I remembered. I didn't realize it made such an impression on me. But um, but we were talking about how much more romantic this movie is than broadcast news. And, you know, it's definitely by design, like when she goes to that liquor store, it's called the Sweetheart Liquor Shop. You know, and when she goes I to get her exactly. makeover, it's called the Cinderella Beauty Shop. So it, it is like a fable, <laughs> Gail. It is a lot mm. like a fable. And it's very funny. I gotta tell um 80s Nation, if you're looking for a, a, a fun, just light movie for for Christmas that isn't about Christmas, this takes place all during Christmas time. So you get these beautiful scenes that um At Lincoln Center of the Big Tree, and it's just pretty. It's just nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we should
0: say it's also available
3: on Amazon Prime. So if you're a member there, you can see it for free online.
2: And your local library. (laughs)
3: There you go. (laughs) So Steve had told me when he found out I hadn't seen either of these. I think it was on Wednesday or Thursday. He said to me, one of them's got a happy ending, and one of them has a less happy ending. But he and they said, I'm not going to say anymore because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to spoil it. And so I'm watching Moonstruck and we're getting, to, we're in the kitchen, right? It's the big kind of climax of the movie in the kitchen scene. And I'm waiting for Danny Ayo to come in and for her to turn her back on Nicolas Cage and say, you know, what, I'm, I'm promised to this man, I'm going to marry him. That's what I was kind of expecting. I have to say I was, and, and then when it didn't happen, I'm like, oh, Hollywood ending. Okay, that's fine. How do you think you would have taken the movie if she had said, you know what? baker man with one hand go do your thing i i said i was going to marry your brother and i'm going to it would have been inconsistent with the rest of the
0: movie and depressing it's like they it's like we've kind of determined it's a fairy tale and
3: fairy tales don't end like that yeah i guess they weren't doing that then in in the hollywood (laughs) it was still about it was still about the happy ending for the most part i don't know i just i seriously i just kept waiting for that to happen and then he comes to the door and i'm like here it comes here it comes here it comes oh my gosh and then and then it got sappy. Give me that ring. And she didn't I thought it was interesting. She didn't make Nicolas Cage get down on his knees to impress huh. Interesting. I guess I am implying that the ending to broadcast news is not a happy ending, but but maybe it is. It's a satisfying ending, but I think the reason it's satisfying is because it feels it feels true to the characters. And I suppose I should be able to say the same about this. I guess I was just since I'd watched this one first, I didn't know how the other one shook out. I just was anticipating that for some reason. I guess because operas are tragic. Mimi dies in La Boheme, if you've seen it. Unfortunately, I have way more times than I care to admit. I just, I I was (laughs) almost startled when it came out the other way. You know what won't startle you right now? Five seconds.
0: Ah, the mystical refrain that is uh, listener mailbag. We got an email today in from one of our longtime, longtime friends. This email is from Marie Mueller. Gail, why don't you do us the honors of reading the, the letter?
4: Okay. Hi, Steve and Brad. I am one of your female listeners, so you have at least three. I'm writing in because I thought the interview show was amazing. Yay. I have to admit that this show brought up some memories of shows past, so a little about myself. I was born in 1971, which makes me a teenager in the 80s. I lived on Long Island, and things weren't all peaches and cream during my teenage years. But I look back upon that time with loving memories of what now feels like one of the sweetest times of my life. In 1985, I experienced my first love. It was such a sweet time, but not without its drama. I was from a small village on the south shore of Long Island. He was from a town about four miles west. We met at a mutual friend's pool, and it was love at first sight. We had our first date in my village. He picked me up at my house, and we went to our two little two-screen theater and saw Red Dawn. That started a whirlwind romance that was on and off for 1985 and 1986 and a small part of 1987. We would ride our bikes back and forth between his town and mine, and it was all very sweet. I say on and off because his parents had a problem with me being from Pachogue, and he was from Sayville, which was a little more affluent than my town. Eventually, his parents decided that we needed to break up. There was melodrama. I cried. He cried. It was all just terrible. We started up again a short while later and saw each other for that whole summer. We ended up breaking up on the beach on Fire Island. Every time I hear Night Rangers goodbye, I think of this day. Heartbreaking. He went on to date my best friend at the time. Not cool, man. Years later, in the early 90s, we rekindled our relationship, but it didn't last long. Life takes you in unexpected directions. You know how that goes. Regarding the show over the years, it was fun and interesting in the Sean Daly years, but I, of course, kept listening when B-Rad took over. Now I wouldn't have it any other way. Brad, (laughs) Brad brings a smart, very upbeat vibe to this podcast. But one thing, you need more female guest hosts. We women have a whole other perspective on the 80s, I promise. I now live in Bradenton, Florida, where I am and always shall be still stuck in the 80s. Marie Mueller.
0: Oh, that's nice. That is. So nice. You asked for more Christmas. And you delivered
4: the female guest.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was the right time to use that letter. As always, you can, we love the letters. Please send them, especially the s- stories of heartbreak and uh, agony.
3: <laughs> it feeds spirits
0: I'm, and soul. Those go straight to the top of the list, more so than the happy ones. Uh, send them to podcast at sit80s.com.
1: What's happening, hot stuff?
0: Ah, uh, by the sound of the gong, it must be time for mystery movie moment. Uh, you know the drill here. We'll play a snippet of a movie from the 80s, and if you get it right, you're in, into the drawing for the uh, bottle openers, the never-ending bottle openers, and whatever swag I can find here at the lair. Pay attention. Here was the clip from last week. Army bases are pretty dead, unless you're in the army.
1: So I always had a lot of time to daydream and my daydream was always the same. That someday I was going to get to Chicago. Because that's where they make Dance TV.
0: That's girls just want to have fun. Any any fans of the movie here? Trick it, cricket, cricket.
2: Um, oh yes, no, yes, me. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen it.
3: I have oh, really? never seen it either. It's
0: okay.
2: I have seen it at three slumber parties. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's got um, who's it got in there? It's got um,
2: Helen Hunt, Helen
0: Hunt, and Sarah Jessica Parker. Yep. And Richard Blake. It's
2: terrible. It's <laughs> it's terrible. I mean, it's wonderful, but it's bad.
0: It's it's a fun movie. Brad, why don't you read the winners?
3: Let's do that. This week's winners include Ryan the Pirate King, Brock from the Great White North Dakota, Anita Montoya, Dave Cedillo, Tom Corn in Austria, Jeff in Utah, the man known only as Rowan, Canuck and Cali, Bo Fornaris, Dave Augie August, Jackie Raskin Burns, Aaron Shirley in Burnaby, British Columbia, Canada, Don in Tulsa, Joe in Michigan, Jesse Elgato Grande, Smith, Amy in Naperville, Eric Newell, and Christine in Philly. Pay attention. Jen will supply us with this week's
0: mystery clip.
1: You are so sleazy. Yay! You think that you can do anything you want and then lie about it and we just have to take it because what are we? Just a bunch of kids. Well, not this time.
0: If you know it, email us at podcast at sit80s.com and tune in next week to find out if you're a winner. Ah, the ever-familiar refrain of Name That 80s Tune, signature event here on the podcast. But by signature, I just mean the first time we ever figured out a, a, a seggy that actually stuck around for a while. But uh, hey, mothers here nor there, we'll play a snippet of a song from the 80s if you get it right. Again, you're entered into the drawing for the bottle opener, the Stuck in these bottle opener. Hey, by the way, we have a store now. Did I, did I say that on a previous podcast? You can go to um, sit80s.com slash store. And you can find the official Stuck in the Eighties t-shirts there, plus a bunch of like other eighties related t-shirts. Like, there's an Electric Dreams shirt, there's a Tron shirt, Brad, in case you don't already own it, mm-hmm. stuff like that. There's a really cool Breakfast Club shirt that I, lo- I love. So there's about like do we have tote bags.
3: <laughs> I don't know. Do you need? Do we need tote bags? No. You know, re- use reusable grocery bags are big in California. Oh, um, well, here in Florida too. We we care about the
0: environment, except for when we're polluting the Everglades. Anyway, pay attention. Here is the clip from last week. That's Sheila E. with The Glamorous Life.
3: has anyone ever seen Sheila in concert uh, you know what I think I have seen her back in the olden days when I used to go to the Playboy Jazz Festival she was playing with Tito Puente
0: oh wow she awesome she definitely yeah, on she, my I pick. just thought of that.
3: she is super talented yeah yeah I have one to see her live her just part. an extremely talented percussionist yep uh, Brad read the winners winners this week include Joseph Perdue Steven Ventura Donnie Gettle rhymes with Sheila E. Andrew Holler in Cincinnati, DJ and Clinton, Mark Ram, Dr. Dim, Tim and Toad Suck, Jeremy and St. Pete, Timmy in Camp Crystal Lake, Illinois, Jeff Rox in Indiana, F. Sean Fitzgerald, O.J. in La Coruna, Spain, Jay Swash in Beaver Creek, Cecil Cahoon, the 80s detective, Callum Atlanta, and Gary and Gilroy, who writes, Back in 2011, I went to see Prince in concert for the first and only time. About two-thirds into the show, the lights went down and the drummer started playing an extended intro. The lights came up to an otherwise empty stage, except for a square opening in the floor. Slowly, a platform raised with Sheila E. and a stand-up drum kit on it. The crowd cheered, and she broke into a killer extended rendition of The Glamorous Life. She totally nailed it. It was an amazing surprise in the middle of an already awesome show. Excellent.
0: Excellent. How lucky. 2011. I know. Dang. Okay, Gail. (laughs) It's your turn to, to spin the wheel of fun and see who wins the bottle opener. You're a strong and powerful woman. And it's going to land on Mark Ram. You are this week's lucky winner. So email us your snail mail address and we'll get something out to you. In the meantime, Gail is also picking the mystery song for this week. So pay attention. Here it is. If you know it, Email us at podcast at sit and tune in next week to find out if you're a winner. We'll be right back after this commercial break. Listen up, Beatty's Nation. Basketball season is back. And here at Stuck in the 80s, that means we have a special sponsor to help you uh, make the most of the season. It's time for you to put your fantasy knowledge to the test and win some huge cash prizes every night playing the one-day fantasy basketball at draftkings.com. At DraftKings, there are so many ways to play. You could do public contests with huge cash prizes. You could do private leagues. You could do friend leagues. Uh, They've even got beginner and casual contests where you can kind of learn the ropes and kind of get your handle on the whole thing. The best part? You get to draft a new team each day. So here's the deal. Use the special promo code CLNS at DraftKings.com to play free with your first deposit for your share of $10,000 in total prizes tonight. Don't wait. The special code is CLNS at DraftKings.com to choose your lineup. The game inside the game.
1: It starts off with this very high-tech syntho sequency type thing, like this. That's the news.
0: And we're back. We have just a few minutes left. I thought this is a good good time to uh, summarize our thoughts and maybe render a final judgment
3: on this week's show topic. Who wants to go first? Okay, I'll go first. In closing, I would like to argue that neither of these movies is anything. No. Um, You know what? I enjoyed both of these more, again, more than I think I would have in the 80s. The broadcast news, just because of where my career has taken me, there were some aspects of that that I enjoyed. And I liked the realistic nature of what I felt that kind of triangle Was If I have to pick one over the other, I'm going to give the nod to Broadcast News for that reason. It just felt more real. I know we talked about Moonstruck being a fairy tale, and within that construct, I'm able to respect it that way, but I don't really enjoy it the same way I did the other movie. Jen, final thoughts?
2: So I think Moonstruck is an incredibly charming movie, and since it came out in 1987, I have married someone who is half Italian and spent some afternoons eating spaghetti over at his grandmother's <laughs> house. And it is effing. <laughs> so I, I brought a new appreciation to it for me. But broadcast news is just, I would say, my top one or two movie of all time. I just think it's marvelously written and acted. And I just think it's so good. And I, it's the only Criterion DVD I own, actually. And I think there are some of the, the, they're really great extras, including some of those improv scenes that you were talking about earlier, Gail. So if you're going to buy a Criterion for someone for Christmas, that's a good one.
0: Okay, Gail, closing thoughts on the movies.
2: I think for
4: me, the test is if I'm surfing channels, which I almost never do, but if I were to happen across one of these two movies, which would I be most likely to leave on and pay attention to? And for me, it's going to be Moonstruck. I, I agree that Broadcast news is very smart and well-written and well-acted, but I just get caught up in Moonstruck and I find it more enjoyable to watch. So I'm going to give the edge to to Moonstruck, but I like them both.
0: By the way, if you want to follow Gail online, she writes a book blog called Every Day I Write the Book, and you can find it at www.everydayirritethebookblog.com. Thank you for the plug. Sure, anytime. Uh, It's fantastic. I'm looking at it right now. Okay, so I can either... Hand the trophy over to Broadcast News with a vote, or I can make it a virtual tie and we let the readers decide. I am going to say that since the original question of the show was, which is the better romantic comedy? I am going to very slightly cast my vote towards Moonstruck, just because it is primarily a romance. Whereas Broadcast News seems a little bit more, the only romance they have is with their own careers. Which, frankly, I have, I have no problem with personally. That's my current existence. But they're both great movies. I feel really great that they both were honored with so many Oscar nominations. And they're definitely, definitely, if you don't have them on Amazon Prime or if you don't own them already on DVD, which I do, please spend the money this Christmas season. Go out and watch them again. You will not be sorry. These are two of the finest uh, movies that we were given in 1987 super entertaining
3: a lot of fun both of them absolutely true
0: gail and jen oh my god thank you so much for finally um we we have doubled the female co-host quotient for the first time possibly in 11 years
4: yay and jen it was great to uh meet you uh-huh. virtually and to yeah, let's, with you. Here.
2: We'll, let's do it again you know it's the way media is going these days more women
4: absolutely yeah you guys need to you guys need
0: to have your women on Sounds good to me. In the meantime, we all remain here, hopelessly stuck in 1987 and hopelessly stuck in the 80s.
3: Stuck in the 80s is a member of the CLNS Media Network. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or the CLNS Media mobile app. How
0: do you say his name?
4: A yellow. Just say A yellow. A- like a yellow pencil but leave pencil out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's
4: amazing. We don't saying it's
0: played by <laughs> a yellow pencil. <laughs>